children lead us, and then next week, how can you not be excited about what we're going to experience over the next several days here at Bible Baptist Church? Uh, Miss Debbie's song so beautifully sung this morning in the choir. You know, listen, when a choir can split off like that and you have six on the other side singing a counterpoint to those that are singing something else, it's pretty talented, folks, and so we need to thank God for that and uh, do what we can to see that a lot of people are here to support that next Sunday in our kids again tonight. If you have a copy of God's Word, we'll go back to the Old Testament major prophet Isaiah and pick up where we left off last week, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Miss Debbie quoted these words, several of them in her song, but we'll reread them and include along with that Verse 7 from Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah 9, verses 7 and then 6 before it. Scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father for the way your Holy Spirit inspired it so many centuries ago. And thank you, Father, for the way you have preserved it for us today. Lord, as it has been doing for so many years now, I pray that yet again this morning it would change hearts and lives. I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And amen. We're answering the question last Sunday and this Sunday morning, what child is this? And I think Isaiah is one of the great prophets who gives us a fabulous answer. We looked at last week that Isaiah tells us this is the child that was given. And we thought about very briefly last week that God gave us His Son... And in that, we see the deity of the Lord Jesus. We know that Jesus was not a man like every other man who had been born before him and each other man who has been born since him, but he was different. And he was different not just because he was a prophet or a priest or even a king, although we know that he was and is each of those three things, but he was different because he was divinity. He was altogether God. Even though Christ Jesus condescended and humbled himself, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he did not depart with his deity. He was God as a baby in the manger. He was God as the boy who grew up in Nazareth. He was God 
as the master of the apostles and the disciples throughout his three years of public ministry. He was God upon Calvary's cross. He was God in the grave. He was God as he resurrected and as he ascended. Jesus is 100% God because he is the son given by God, but at the same time, 100% man. That's why Isaiah could write and prophesy, for unto us a child is born. To be born, that means what? It means you're human. It means that you have all the experiences of your fellow humanity, and that's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. He robed up in human flesh, and he experienced everything that you and I experience, including temptations, yet he never sinned. So what child is this? He's the child that was given. And then we also explored last week the fact that he is the child who became the king that governed, governs, and will govern. I hope you caught that. Past, present, and future. He is the child who is the King Jesus that will govern. Scripture says in the latter part of verse 6 that the government will be upon his shoulder. He gladly accepts it. That's the image there. When you read that, and Isaiah says that upon the shoulder of the Lord Jesus, the government will sit. That just is an image like you taking a shawl, or taking a scarf and laying that around your neck. It means that you placed it upon yourself, that you accept that. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has accepted the government of his kingdom. Now, we talked last week that we know that government internally. Those of us who are a part of the kingdom... I reminded you that more important than being a citizen of the United States or the Commonwealth of Kentucky or Rockcastle County, wherever you live, whatever community you find your home in, more important than that as a child of God, there's someone else who governs your life. And my, oh my, aren't we thankful today that it's not someone in Frankfurt or someone in Washington, D.C. who governs our lives, ultimately. Jesus is our king. And Jesus dictates as king. And he rules and reigns as king. And he does that within the hearts and lives of believers. His kingdom. We're a kingdom of priests, the Bible says. And we have this fellowship with one another as we represent the Lord Jesus in this world. But we were reminded last week that not only does Jesus rule internally within the hearts and lives of his church, but Jesus will rule externally because the day is coming when Jesus will fulfill every other prophet, or prophecy rather, that the Old Testament makes of him as he comes As King of kings and Lord of lords, every knee will bow and each tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So this is the child that was given. This is the child that will govern. And let me say, as we wrap up our thoughts about Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, that this is the child that is great. Jesus Christ is great in every sense of the word. And it's encapsulated in the names that Isaiah mentions in the very last part of verse 6 of chapter 9. Look at it again. Scripture says, And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, during this time of the year, if you like music and sort of all genres and forms of music, one of the things that you probably listen to, or at least would hope to listen to, is the great English oratorio by Handel entitled Messiah. And I would encourage you to stretch your, your uh, love of music. Now, some of us, you know, we grow up in a certain part of the country and music becomes very much about uh, what is influencing us in our culture. But if you want to hear something fantastic and beautiful... I would encourage you at some point to push through. Now, I know a lot of you like the country music, and I do too, and the bluegrass and all of those things, and I love all of that, but I would encourage you to push through that a little bit and take some time to listen to Handel's Messiah. It's written in 1741. One of my favorite stories of Messiah is that when it was presented something fascinated, fascinating rather actually happened. In fact, that thing has continued down through the ages of time. Even if you were to go hear the Messiah today, this same thing would likely happen. When you get to that second movement and you begin to hear the choir sing the great hallelujah chorus, do you know what you would do? with everybody else in that auditorium, you would stand up. I got in trouble for that just a few years ago when our son was actually in middle school choir. He got to sing the Hallelujah Chorus with his fellow choristers, and we were sitting there actually in a gymnasium, which is not the best place to listen to a choir, but sometimes you have to do that. And so we were sitting there in the bleachers in the gymnasium, and they got into the Hallelujah Chorus, and I did what I was supposed to do. I stood up. Do you know that I was the only one in that whole gym that stood up? And people behind me were saying, sit down, sit down, sit down. And my wife was defending my honor. She was whispering back, you're supposed to stand up. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's what you're supposed to do, because when it premiered in London in 1743, legend has it that actually King George II, who was in the first performance, once they got to that exhilaration of the Hallelujah Chorus, he couldn't contain himself, and he actually stood. And you know what you do? If the king stands, you stand. And so the tradition has it that when the king stood up, 
Everybody else stood up because of the amazement that they shared together of Handel's musicianship and the greatness of that choir and that orchestra. So when we think about the Messiah, typically that's the first thought that comes to many of our minds is that great hallelujah chorus, but the second most popular area of that whole oratorio is in the first movement that contains these exact words from Isaiah the prophet. It's the song that says, For unto us a child is born. And so beautifully portrayed out in the oratorio, and then they get to these names of Jesus. And that's the most fascinating part. There they are singing through the names of Jesus, and they sing it. You can hear it in your memory. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Aren't we thankful for a Savior who has these names? Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus has so many names. Lord, Master, Savior, Christ. He has all of those titles. I've mentioned a couple of them already this morning. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Rose of Sharon the bright morning star, but Isaiah reaches deep within the palette of the Hebrew language and he pulls out these beautiful descriptive words that Jesus would personify as he came to earth and he lived out his life. He is wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is great. What about these names? And you understand this, when Isaiah uses the word names, he's not talking about names like you and I think of. Someone might ask you, well, who is your interim pastor? And you might say, Alan Dodson, because that's my name. I look back and I see my wonderful wife here this morning. She surprised me. And somebody might ask me, what's your wife's name? And I would say, Amy. And we talk about names because that's what we go by. But you understand this. In the Bible, when several of the biblical writers talk about names, it's more than just a calling. It's more than just a word or two that someone goes by. It speaks of their activity and their character what they're all about. And I'm so thankful that Isaiah starts out talking about the fact that Jesus is so great that He is the wonderful Counselor. Now I know, again, in the Messiah, when you hear, for unto us a child is born, you hear that separated because it's also separated with a comma in several translations of Scripture. And so they sing, Wonderful Counselor. But I want you to understand that in the Hebrew language, those two terms 
are together. It's not that Jesus is wonderful and then he's counselor. What Isaiah is communicating is that this Jesus is wonderful counselor. It's together. We need a wonderful counselor. There's so many people today that need to go to psychologists and psychiatrists and psychoanalysts and all of those professionals have their place and many of them do really good jobs, but some people go to them because they're seeking answers to life's problems. Let me tell you something about all these worldly counselors. They can give you good advice, and often they do give you good advice, but you need to know this. Their advice, at best, is an opinion, especially if they're just hearing your words. Now, I'm not talking about medical situations where you need some type of medicine to help you out. I understand that many of us go through things in life and we need that, and that's okay. But I'm talking about when it gets down to counsel and giving you opinions. Worldly opinions are often wrong. And sometimes you can pay a whole lot of money for worldly opinions. Maybe you heard the little story about a man that was standing out in front of the front door of his attorney's office. There he was on the sidewalk and he had his hands up and his head buried in his hands and he was just sobbing. I mean, he was crying uncontrollably and a friend of his passed by and he saw that and he just stopped and he asked his friend, he said, well, here you are in front of your lawyer's office. Did, did he give you a bad report? And the man stopped his sobbing for a moment, looked at his friend, and he said, no, he sold it to me. Sometimes, thank you all for indulging me, sometimes you can pay a lot of money for bad opinions, but here's what I want you to see about the wonderful counselor. He will never give you bad advice because... Jesus does not give advice. He does not give opinions. Jesus gives truth. Everything about Jesus is true. And every word He shares is ultimate truth. We have so many people in the world today that are on a quest for truth and for answers. And they need to look at what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say. I'm telling you, most problems in our lives could be solved if we spent a little more time in the red-lettered words of the New Testament. If we just considered what Jesus has to say. Jesus has the words of life. Jesus has the words of peace. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Isaiah also writes in chapter 28, verse 29, this also comes from the Lord of hosts who has made His counsel wonderful and His wisdom great. There's no wisdom like the wisdom 
of Jesus. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that Christ is the wisdom of God. Sometimes you get to these quandaries in life and you just want to hear what God has to say. And you think to yourself, if I could just audibly hear the words of God. Well, my friend, the good news is, get into the Bible. It is the Word of God. And get into the life and the testimony and the teachings of the Lord Jesus because they are altogether the wisdom of God. He is wonderful counselor. The greatest counselor you can ever have is the Son of God. He's wonderful counselor. He is so great. He's wonderful counselor, but notice that he's also, according to Isaiah, mighty God. He is mighty God. We used to sing the song in Sunday school, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. You remember that little Sunday school song? And boys liked it. We liked that one. And we also liked I'm in the Lord's army. You know, because that appealed to the masculinity, you know, of the little boys that are so very masculine, you know. But we love that one. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. And we'd make all those gestures and everything. And that's a little Sunday school song that little children sing, but it's so profoundly true. God is so strong, so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. You see, Jesus is God, and as wonderful counselor, He can tell you what's right, but as mighty God, He can empower you to do what's right. Because don't forget this. This wonderful counselor, this mighty God, is not just pie in the sky. He's not just up there in the ethereal somewhere and we can't reach Him, we can't touch Him, we can't get a hold of Him. No, Scripture says that He, through His Spirit, lives in our hearts. You remember first hearing about Jesus coming to live in someone's heart? I remember being a little boy and People would talk about that, give a testimony, and they would say, well, Jesus came to live within me. And we would sing that great old hymn of the church, since Jesus came into my heart. And I would wonder, how can a big man like Jesus get into my heart? At that point in my spiritual formation, it just didn't make sense. But I'm thankful that I learned what it is, because it's not that the physical Jesus comes down and plants himself into your heart and your life, but the beautiful thing is that it's a much more powerful thing than than physicality. It's about spirituality, and the Spirit of the Lord Jesus comes into your heart, and He empowers you. Wherever you are this morning, whatever life has set before you, the difficulties, the circumstances, 
I want to tell you today, you can do it. You can make it. You can continue to put one foot in front of the other because not only do you have within you a wonderful counselor, but you have the mighty God. He's mighty in His presence because He's omnipresent. He's everywhere you go. He is mighty in His power because He's omnipotent. He has all power. He is mighty in His perception because He's omniscient. He knows everything. All of those beautiful and awesome characteristics about God the Father are also true of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is mighty God, and as mighty God, believer, He dwells within you. You see, this child is great because he's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God, and He's everlasting Father. If you were to read the Hebrew there and translate it just very woodenly literal, here would be the translation. He is the Father of eternity. And in the Hebrew mindset, that word Father meant more than just someone who is paternal to us. But in the Hebrew mindset, that that word father carried with it the notion of source or origination. So everything, don't miss this, everything that is eternal originates with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of everything that is eternal. All things that pertain to eternity have their source in Jesus. That's why the book of Revelation calls Him the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, He is the beginning and He is the end and He is all in between. He is the Father of eternity. Here's what it means. If you want anything eternal, you have to get it from Jesus. If you want anything eternal, it must come from Jesus. And we spend our lives chasing the trivial and the temporal things that are here for a moment and then are fleeting, they go away. And we give little attention often to those things of the Lord. And it's those things of Christ that are eternal. read a little social media post the other day from a parent whose child has grown up and now graduated from college and entered into real adult life. We used to grow up at 18, but they don't quite do that anymore, right? Some of you do. Some of you do. But anyway, this mother talked about all the time she spent with that little girl convincing her of her need to brush her teeth, of her need to have good hygiene, of her need to fix her hair, of her need to wear her clothes appropriately. She talked about all the time she had spent 
on those things. And those things are important. It's important to have good teeth. It's important to smell good. <laughs> it's important to watch what you wear and all of the, all those things are important. But not one of those things are eternal. Not a one of them. And I would encourage you as grandparents, great-grandparents maybe, some in the room, parents, those who influence young people, in your quest for encouraging good behavior and encouraging good hygiene and good grades and good this and good that and excellent athletics and all of those things, don't forget the eternal I want you to hear me closely. The day will come when that's all that matters. Jesus, Isaiah says, is great. He's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Father of eternity. And we need to connect the people in our lives to that Jesus. And then number four, he is so great, Isaiah says, that he's the Prince of Peace. There is only one who will bring peace to this war-torn world. And that one is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can give you personal peace and only Jesus can give this world political peace. We think about the mess that continues over in Israel. And there's been so many treaties. We all remember the Oslo Accords. And there you have the President of the United States at that time with the Palestinian leader on one side and the Israel leader on the other side. And the bottom line is they agreed together in the Oslo Accord that was struck at the White House in Washington, D.C. under the watchful eye of Bill Clinton. They agreed together that Israel would surrender everything about that little strip, little insignificant strip that butts up to Egypt and in the south the Mediterranean over to the west and up to Israel in the north, that little, tiny, insignificant strip called the Gaza Strip. The Oslo Accords were signed and there was going to be peace. Insert October the 7th, 2023. And there's no peace. See, Israel can't give up land for peace. The Palestinians can't take land for peace. What needs to happen is they all need to bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can give peace. 
the same Isaiah writes in 2.4 and he says, He will judge between the nations and render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. And he says in 11.9, They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters that cover the sea. Israel needs Jesus. The Palestinian people need Jesus. And Americans need Jesus. Rockcastle Countyans need Jesus. You, you need Jesus because... He is the Prince of Peace. And I'll say this about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. You don't know how much He is until you walk through some of the most desolate valleys of life. I want to show you a little picture of what Amy and I did yesterday, and we never thought that we would do this, but we went out to the cemetery, and Amy had purchased some flowers, and we had arranged them together, and we went out to Andrew's grave, because we like to keep it current with the seasons. So we put his Christmas flowers out. So that, that's our Christmas with Andrew this year. But you know what? Through the tears and through the experience of this valley of life, here's what we know. He's with the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is with us. Jesus, wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. But don't you forget, (laughs) He's the Prince of Peace. In 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of America's favorite poets, was having a really, really hard year. Just some time before, he had lost his wife in a fire, and his heart hurt. And then... In 1863, in March of that year, his beloved son, who had gone off to serve the North in America's Civil War, the telegraph came, and the person brought it to his home. Not only had he lost his wife, but now he had lost his son in the Civil War. And on Christmas Day that year, there he was, sitting alone. And he began to hear the bells. 
And out of that experience came one of our great carols. I'm thankful that it was remade by Casting Crowns some years ago because it's brought it back to the place where a lot of people now hear it. But I just want you to listen to Longfellow's words. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So there he is hearing the bells, but there he is also with a broken heart. And he writes and says, in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then he writes his conclusion, then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep, the wrong shall fail, the right Prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. He is the Prince of Peace. That's who He is. It's His nature. That's what He does. In the midst of life's difficulties and most severe tragedies, I'm telling you, He brings peace. And I want to know, do you have that kind of peace today? The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that only the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace can bring to your heart and to your life. If you don't, I offer Him to you today. Jesus is here. Jesus loves you. Jesus will save you if you'll just come to Him. Or perhaps, Christian friend, you're here today and you're in turmoil for one thing or another. Your heart is hurting. And here stands Jesus the Prince of Peace. And He says, come closer. Draw in to Me. The Bible promises that when you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Jesus is great. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Lord, if we ever needed peace before, we need it now. Our world is dark. Our days are difficult. Our experiences are hard. We need your peace. And Father, I pray that right now your peace, that peace that passes all understanding, would enshroud us, would, Father, fill our hearts and our lives. I pray, Lord, that your peace would prevail. And Father, I pray that your peace would prevail 
in all of this world. For, Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would come again soon. Our hearts cry out for it, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and bring the peace that only you can bring. Father God, I pray for every person here, Lord, those who may need to step to Jesus, those who need to move closer to Jesus. Thank you, Father, that he is great, that he's the Prince of Peace. I pray that you have your will and your way in our hearts and lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen.